Hey, thanks so much for checking out this episode of Golf Strategy School. Now, I know you're listening because you want to learn how to play better golf. But if you want to see how you compare to other golfers your age, you need to check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin. That is par, the number four, success.com slash Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. And what it will do is it will actually give you a free assessment where you can see exactly how you measure up against other people your age. And you can see where you're excelling, where you need to focus your time on. And this is an assessment, honestly, that you can take once a month just to see how you're progressing throughout your golf journey. So again, check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see how you measure up against other golfers your age. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Golf Strategy School podcast. It's the only podcast designed to really help those people who are still kind of struggling to get over that milestone score of breaking 90 or breaking 100, if that's still what you're working on. What I'm going to be talking about today is a concept that has to do with chipping. Now, I like to talk about the short game because most of our shots happen in that short game range, and I think it is a huge kind of catastrophic blow up area for higher handicap golfers. So today I'm talking about a concept on how you can get better contact on your chipping as well as better distance control. So let's get into it. All right, everybody, like I was saying in the intro today, we're talking about short game, specifically how we can get a little bit better contact, you know, kind of controlling that low point a little bit and better distance control, because you'll find that a lot of times distance is a more important controlling factor or a more impactful controlling factor than the actual line. Because even if you're dead at the flag, but you're going a thousand miles an hour, it doesn't really matter much. But if you're four or five feet off line-wise, but you've got really good touch, you can still cozy it into a makeable area. Now, before we really get rolling into the content here, I wanted to give a little bit of update on our publishing schedule. So for the publishing schedule going forward, I'm going to be going every other week. A reason being here is because, you know, I've been looking at doing interviews more and more, and I've done some interviews off and on uh, in this last, let's say, 50 to 100 episodes. And they still get really good feedback. And there's plenty of people who are doing awesome, new, wonderful things out there in the world of golf. And let's face it, we can all learn from them. Not just you, me too. Uh, I recently did an interview with a gentleman by the name of Kyle Alderink, who is doing some really phenomenal, awesome, cool stuff that blew my mind on the mental game side of things. So that interview will be coming out in a couple weeks here. But just so you know, that is the publishing schedule going forward, and that's why. So getting back to today's topic, looking at how we can get better with our chipping through distance control and kind of consistency of contact. So first, let's talk about consistency of contact. You know, this is all about controlling the low point. And it's something that I've talked about plenty of times regarding full swing as well. Obviously, the shorter we can have our swing for our full swing shots, 
the more consistent and the more controlled we're going to be compared to, you know, redlining it, white knuckling the grip and trying to hit a pitching wedge 450 yards. That's obviously not going to lead to a lot of consistency in terms of like where you make contact with the golf ball. Now for this specific process, when we're talking about chipping again, it is a lot about low point, but I want to talk about one of the biggest errors that I see newer golfers making. And that is more to do with how they're coming into the ball to make contact when they're chipping. I see a lot of people, they'll, if they're practicing around the green, they'll hit one or two that are pretty decent. They'll miss hit one and that will like shatter their confidence and they'll have a really, really hard time kind of getting back into that groove, so to speak, that they hit maybe on their first couple. Once that confidence is shattered, I see all sorts of things like flipping of the wrists, you know, trying to flip into the ball. That's horrible for consistency. You're just introducing more variables. And then the other thing that I really see a ton is people kind of chopping at it, but stopping like immediately after they make contact, they're physically stopping their follow through. And that adds a lot of jerkiness and kind of hesitation into the ball when we're chipping. Yeah. We're trying to have, you know, nice crisp contact. The way that I find is the easiest to produce that on an every time basis is to have as few moving parts as possible. Now this is probably going to sound redundant compared to everything that I've said in the past, because y'all know that I preach eliminating variables as much as I can, because the less variables we have, the easier it is to make a motion consistent. Uh, if you think of, you know, something like a, a bicycle, there's not really a lot of moving parts on a bicycle. There's a couple gears one of which attaches to a wheel, there's some brakes, and then there's your steering mechanism. Well, if we compare a bicycle to a motorcycle, same number of wheels, we have gears that go to wheels, but we don't have this minimal amount of moving parts. You know, in a bicycle, we are providing the actual power. Whereas with the motorcycle, well, now there's a throttle assembly, there's an engine, there's pistons, there's a camshaft. There are so many opportunities for that to go wrong compared to a bicycle. Now, obviously that machine, that motorcycle does more work than a bicycle. It produces more force, but in terms of likelihood to break down or frequency of mechanical issues, you're going to see it much more with a motorcycle compared to a bicycle. And that's the same concept that we're thinking with when it comes to our golf swing. If you are a person who flips your wrist to try and get your touch down and try and get your contact nice and crisp, if you're flipping your wrist and moving your arms and your shoulders and your hips, you're just introducing another opportunity for that to go wrong. Rather than flipping your wrist to try and like get it up in the air, I'd rather just see you use a more lofted club and 
maybe take more of a swing. So really when we're talking about getting that consistent contact, I think for a lot of people, let's just focus on taking basically a putting stroke with whatever wedge or nine iron, eight iron, whatever your bump and run club of choice may be, uh, whatever that club that you're chipping around the green is, let's just take a putting stroke with it and let the mechanics of the club do the work. Now, I'm not saying that you can't, you know, put a little forward shaft lean on it and get maybe a more bump and run rollout out of a pitching wedge than just letting it act with its natural face angle. There's plenty of room for both of those. But the action that I would rather see you take to actually propel the ball forward, I would like it to look like a putting stroke because it's going to be a lot more consistent because we don't have our wrist into it. Uh, One of the great examples and a a hometown boy for me is Steve Stricker. His hands are stone silent in his chipping, and that's why he's so dang consistent with it. He is one of many players who is just very, very quiet with their hands coming through on those basic chip shots. Now, this isn't this isn't a lob shot. This isn't some, you know, crazy miracle shot that you have to pull out from a weird lie or anything like that. I'm talking about, you know, your run of the mill average chip shot that you're probably seeing 80 plus percent of the time. Let's just think quiet hands. We're not trying to lift the ball in the air with our arms. Uh, ideally on your follow through, I would like you to continue your follow through. So, you know, you're not stopping short and just kind of stabbing at it. Continue your follow through with that, that putting stroke kind of motion, but you really shouldn't see your hands or I guess for this example, like the, the handle of the club shouldn't really be getting too much higher than your belt. Because if you can keep it at that line or below, you have a nice sweeping motion which gives you a lot more margin for error in terms of that crispness of contact compared to if you have a steep angle coming in and then a steep angle coming out, that's going to be a lot smaller margin for error. Now let's flip over to our other thought here on how we can control our touch a little bit. And this is actually something I learned from Hale Irwin. Now this guy historically was one of the most clutch putters that I can remember. And he always had a very, very good short game. And one of the things that I saw him do in a seminar was to help gauge your distance on chip shots, or I don't really think it's as applicable to pitching shots because that's getting into more of a percentage of your swing, but chipping, bump and run, honestly, even putting you can use this with. And that is to think of, you know, if you were to take this golf ball and roll it at the hole, what kind of force would you use there? So you could actually stand behind the ball while you're in your think box and you could just kind of pantomime the action of rolling a golf ball toward the hole. You know, how, how much force are you going to use kind of in that arm swing to roll the ball forward? Because... If we don't have a lot of moving parts, and again, I'm specifically talking about your hands and your wrists here. If we're not flipping our wrists, all of that power, all of that propulsion, all of that force 
comes from <clears throat> that same kind of putting stroke motion that we're making. And we're just not holding a putter in our hands. We're holding a sand wedge or a nine iron or whatever the club of choice may be. So if we take that action and we kind of remember that arm swing, that fake kind of bowling motion that we took to roll the golf ball out, let's use that same amount of force that we used in that fake rolling motion to actually get the ball on track going toward the hole. And I was shocked how quickly this impacted even my short game. I'm not a fantastic short game player. Uh, That's the part of my game that needs the most practice. And I know for me that when I play my best, it's because my short game is sharp. I can go several strokes under par if I'm putting and chipping well. But that is almost always what keeps me from shooting well. And I was really, really surprised at how quickly I was able to adopt this into part of my pre-shot routine and make sure that my touch with my chip shots and with my, again, not really pitches, but uh, like my, my longer chip shots, like I get out to like 20-ish yards, I still consider that chipping. But using this strategy of pretending to throw the ball out onto the green really, really helped me get a, a much better control on my touch for those longer chip shots. And again, for the shorter chip shots, even for putting, you know, especially my, my long putts, my lag putts, this was another thing that really helped me kind of bring that into a little bit more perspective and, and kind of shrink up that bushel barrel that I'm trying to putt into for my lag putts. So try those two things, okay? For our touch, we are going to just pretend to throw a golf ball toward the hole. You know, you can take a couple of of golf balls and actually try this at first on the practice greens just to get a real good sense of what that motion is and how far the ball goes with that that arm swing. And then just transition it right into whatever club you're using. So if you're actually putting, use the putter. If you're doing these practice throws from the edge of the green, you know, flip to whatever that bump and run club is. And I think that's really, really going to help you out. In terms of that consistency in our contact, again, we want to quiet the hands and the wrists. We don't want any action there if we don't need it. And we're just going to let our our shoulders rock and our arms swing as if it was a putt that we're hitting. And we're going to let the loft of the club do the work. So if we take that that swing and we're, you know, we're practicing around the green and we notice that we're always short, all right, well, maybe we need to bump one club up. You know, maybe a pitching wedge isn't the right club. Maybe it's a nine iron. Or maybe we're going too long and the pitching wedge isn't the right club because it's too long. All right, well, now maybe it should be a sand wedge so it won't release as much. But the idea here is to really remove the variables from our chipping. Again, that way so we don't get these catastrophic, wild, inconsistent shots that end up costing us two or three or sometimes four strokes of recovery you know like josh Boggs said friend of the show pga instructor out of columbus ohio uh if you want to work with him uh he is a golf tech teacher you can you can find him through there but he said you know for people who are really trying to break 90 or trying to break 100 for that first time it's not about making more pars and birdies it's about having less eights and nines and tens 
And if we can do that by having less catastrophically bad chips, we're going to be well on our way. All right, so that is the end of the episode. Uh, If you didn't catch from our last episode that we are now doing a five-day challenge, really trying to get the most impact, the most improvement into your swing and your score in five days, make sure you head over to golfstrategyacademy.com slash the number five in the number five. So it's five in five, five strokes in five days, golfstrategyacademy.com slash the number five, the word in the number five. Uh, If you don't want to remember that, that's totally fine. Just pull up your show notes here and I will be linking that in the description. So you can just click over there, sign up, and you will get lessons delivered to you every five days to make sure that you are up to snuff on your stuff. All right, everybody. Until next time, I'll catch you in the short grass. Cheers. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Strategy School. As always, if you want to keep it in the short grass, all you got to do is put those lessons into effect. And if you want to see exactly how you fare in terms of your physical performance to other golfers your age, head over to par4success.com slash Griffin, and you'll be able to see exactly where you line up and match up with other golfers your age based off of this this free performance assessment that Chris and his team has put together. Again, that's parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see exactly how well you line up against all their golfers your age. And I'll just drop a link to it in the show notes.